Hey guys, welcome to a, another episode of More Than a Podcast. It's your host James, back to give you guys more of the greatness. Uh, so let's get right into it. So you know, for so many different decades, um, comic books in themselves have, you know, they've been entertaining us all across the world. Everybody knows what comic books are. And, you know, the way that we use comic books or the way that they've been used, as far as I'm concerned, is, is, you know, I look at them as a way to explore like different worlds and situations that I might not encounter in my everyday life. And I think a lot of people can relate. Um, You know, they're they're used in a way that projects an experience and it gives like readers a level of immersion and and relatability with with the characters that they're reading about so you know these characters that that are created it's kind of made in line to closely resemble either characteristics of yourself or people that you know um and over time we've seen many forms of heroes villains anti-heroes otherworldly beings um and they've all been presented to us um and in a way to just really take over our imagination and just have us think in the most fantastical sense you know of what kind of creations there can be um but it wasn't until 30 years after comics came around that there was uh an introduction that would actually change the entire landscape of how comic books were perceived in history and that very instance was called the x-men so what exactly are the x-men well, firstly, I like to talk about where the X-Men came from. So the X-Men were created back in 63 and they were created by the legendary uh, comic book creators, uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Um, and the what, how they were created or why they were created was was more for the point of, you know, you had all of these different superheroes and these different characters and. You know, the bottom line is that they were just a hero. They were just a hero. They were just here to save the day. And you really didn't understand how they became the hero. And it's quite it's quite a task to divert from, you know, the everyday, um, you know, catching the bad guy or stopping the world from, uh, you know, averting crisis in the world to, you know, doing an origin story. While origin stories are all great and good, you know, um, you you know, X Men took it in a, a different direction because they basically said, "Okay, look, we're going to explain one base um, understanding of what mutants are, which that's what the X Men are. They are mutants, uh, which basically, uh, from the comic stance, they are subspecies of human, and they have what's called an X gene." And that's all the origin that we need to know on how a person got their powers, you know, because, you know, it's it's a lot different than just being an alien from a different world or a catastrophe within a laboratory or, you know, parents being uh, shot down and and becoming a vigilante. Um, It's just you you have a gene and, you know, um, through development as an individual, you're going to manifest powers that are unique to yourself. And so that was pretty much all the explanation that we needed. And, and again, it, it, it was always cool to, you know, run back and see um, 
where people came from and, you know, what their upbringing and background was like. But you really didn't concern yourself on how they got their powers because you knew all the time that as a mutant, they got their powers because of an X gene. So, um, you know, they they created that concept and, you know, it was really unique at the time. But I don't think that it was something that uh, the general public was ready for. But be it as it may, they created a pretty substantial cast of characters in the beginning. So the original X-Men, if if you didn't know, uh, consisted of a pretty small team. Um, When you consider the X-Men nowadays, I mean, I'm pretty sure people can rattle off 25, maybe even 50 different uh, members or off members or sub members um, of the X-Men. But in the beginning, uh, there are about five or so. Um, and they were Marvel Girl, uh, or you may better know her as Jean Grey. Uh, there was Iceman, there was Cyclops, there was Beast, and there was Angel. And then you had Professor X, who was basically the, um, you know, the leader of, of the, uh, school for gifted students. Um, and, you know, not unlike any other superheroes, um, again, they had very unique characteristics onto themselves um, brought on by, you know, as I mentioned before, the X gene. So like going through these characters, right? So like with uh, Marvel girl, um, she had telepathy and telekinesis and with Iceman, he, uh, he has cryokinesis or he can control ice. Um, you know, he can assume and enhance his physical form made of ice. Um, you had Cyclops with his optic blast. Um, you had Beast with his genius level intellect and his enlarged hands and feet. Well, that was in the beginning. And uh, his superhuman strength, agility, and endurance. You have Angel with his natural flight, his healing factor, uh, his uh, superhuman strength. And then um, Professor X, who's one of the strongest telepaths in the Marvel Universe. Now, some people would say, well, that's arguable because I can, I can think of other people who you know, have a better mental grasp on, you know, on being a telepath. No, probably not, because <clears throat> we've seen time and time again, um, you know, Professor Xavier <laughs> put, you know, put people in their place, you know, in so many different ways. I mean, so aside from him being, you know, a, a strong telepath, I mean, this guy can like some of the things he can do, he can perceive <laughs> um he can perceive or project thoughts within a 250 mile radius. So within 250 miles, he can make you think whatever he wants you to. So you can be coming, you can be in California coming out of Vegas and he could already have you thinking about driving in the opposite direction to Utah. If that's what he wanted, (laughs) you know, or, or, um, you know, driving at 30 miles per hour, uh, instead of 65, like, I mean, I know those sound, those, those are little crazy little, uh, little examples, but it's the best I can do. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and another thing about professor X is he's a genius. Um, he has a wide array of psionic powers. So this guy can like, he can cast illusions and this is all stuff that, that he's playing off in your head. So he can cast illusions. He can project himself as invisible he can cause memory loss. He can cause temporary mental and physical paralysis. He can take away or he can manipulate a person's bodily functions. So he can make you punch yourself in the head um, or just fall down, 
just straight up fall down. He can make you fall down and just you just somebody says get up and you're just like I can't because <laughs> he can just take away your bodily functions. Um, he can detect mutants um, and he can um, also project an astral form of himself on what uh, the comics, uh, the Marvel comics know as the astral plane. So um, that Professor X is probably one of my favorite uh, mutants. Um, for those who don't know, um, you know, he spent uh, a lot of time in the first comics uh, in a wheelchair. Um, and there's been different um, there's been different reasons why he's ended up in that wheelchair. But, um, yeah, he's in a he, you know, he cannot walk. But there's also the question of if he's if he's able to um control other people's bodily functions why can't he control his own and just make himself walk and i guess he could but i i wouldn't be able to tell you why he doesn't so you know um but what's really funny is that as awesome as those x-men sound with their powers and all um they didn't hit right off and you know that comes to be expected when you have comic characters you know, your Supermans, your uh, Batmans and, and whatnots, you know, already existing. And basically, you know, people who are reading comics are like, well, what's what is the bigger point of why I would stop reading this to go and read that? And there just wasn't enough to pull people away from what they what they enjoyed so much, you know. Um, so X-Men didn't hit right away. I mean, it was they, they were very unique but they didn't become very popular until the 1970s. That's when things started to change. So it was a general consensus that in the first uh, the first push for the X-Men, one of the things that was widely known was that all of the characters were Caucasians. They were all, uh, you know, young white teens um, who were, you know, tasked at becoming special students. And, you know, in a, in a very diverse world that we live in, you know, there does beg the question, can there be anything special about me that can come from any other races who may not be represented uh, in, in a form, in you know, in a medium that they enjoy? Maybe they like reading comics, but they want to see themselves represented as special as well. So that uh, that challenge was tackled moving forward um, with a combination of writers and um, artists. Uh, you had Lee Wayne, you had David Cockrum, uh, you also had John Bryan and Christopher Claremont, um, who all at at one point or another worked on the giant-sized X-Men, uh, which, uh, again, debuted in the 1970s. And what was really unique about this one is that it brought on a new cast of characters, a new uh, cast of mutants, um, you know, for them to take a second go at getting people interested in in this new team and this time around they introduced some very unique characters not just because of because i mean they were already unique because they had different powers but now they're unique because these guys are from different places i mean and i don't mean different places like within the same you know uh within the same country they were from all over the world so yeah people like thunderbird who was an Apache Native American who was really adept at hand to hand combat, he had superhuman senses and also had superhuman strength. Uh, you had Storm from Kenya. Um, 
who is, you know, who's regarded as, and, and this is something I really don't understand uh, how it can, how it can be on again, off again, but I'm just going to say on, I'm just going to say on all the time. Uh, she's, she is regarded as an Omega level mutant. Um, she is, she started as an expert level thief, um, but she's grown to become an expert level tactician. She has a psionic ability to control the weather. Uh, she can control atmospheric pressure. She can, she has, uh, she has a control or she has an understanding of ecological empathy. So she knows when bad things are happening to the planet. Like she just knows and she, and she's able to feel you know, the planet. And that, that to me, like is that, that's a pretty strong characteristic to have. Um, and then she has flight, which flight really isn't something that she has just off, off top, but her ability to control weather, you know, giving her gust of wind, you know, like that's how she's able to fly. Like, I, I mean, I'm being very technical about it, but you know, her flight is not like Superman's flight, you know? So, um, but one thing that, you know, going into what I was mentioning about Omega level, because I always like to explain how a person can effectively be Omega, which basically means they're top tier of, you know, of their abilities. Like nobody like they basically have an extreme um, level to their abilities that can literally shift um, the entire existence of humanity. And I mean. If she wanted to, like she, if she wanted to, she could literally like flash flood where any, any place that she's in and she can go around the entire world just doing it. She could drown the world out. She could, she could, uh, she could, you know, for all intents and purposes, dry out all the water. I don't, I, you know, she can do so many different things. She could, she could do things that again would effectively shift the balance of the world she could make it snow in in the in the desert she could make it you know um you know she could make she could make uh i mean I'm, I'm i'm sitting here trying to think of all these things she can do and i'm pretty sure it's just a lot i just can't wrap my mind around it and that's a part of being an omega level mutant <laughs> um um same thing with uh with iceman iceman is a level uh omega level um and I'm pretty sure like if he wanted to, he could just he could just freeze the entire uh, he could just freeze the atmosphere. He could just freeze everything. Just he can put a finger on the ocean and just freeze every bit of the ocean and just <laughs> no water, just no water. Everything's freaking rocks. And, and I mean, well, everything is ice, you know, like he, he could do it if he wanted to. Um, but I believe that it takes a, it takes a really strong tap into their into their uh, emotions and into their feelings. So. They they basically have to have a Wanda Maximoff in order to uh, to get that deep into their power. So I don't think it's something that they could just do at will. Um, but yeah, um, another character, um, Nightcrawler uh, from Germany, has the uh, ability to teleport. His teleporting abilities are pretty cool because um, he can pretty much go. He can pretty much teleport anywhere that he wants to be. But the the, the fact of the matter is this, because there's always a catch to how people do things. He has to be able to clearly understand exactly where his destination is. So as long as he can see his destination, then he can he, he can teleport there um, and he can't be compromised in that thought. Otherwise, he'll get lost. So um, but it's pretty nifty to think that, you know, uh, you could be in uh, you could be in 
you know, Miami, Florida one moment and then you can be in uh, Paris, France the next, you know, um, just on on. I mean, not even a second. Um, he has enhanced reflexes. He has uh, super agility has night vision. He also has a tail. And I believe that his tail, if I'm not mistaken, is something that can work independently of his own abilities. So, um, you know, if he needs to leverage himself onto some high arcing, you know, um, you know, something that's out of the way of maybe somebody who's causing an offensive, um, you know, his tail can grab it and swing him around the other way. And, you know, uh, you know, just basically be a helping hand to him, kind of like the uh, mystical cloak that Dr. Strange uses. Um, he can cling to uh, pretty much any surface. Um, so, you know, he's he can be on your ceiling you know, kind of like in a Spider-Man type of way and you wouldn't even know it. And he's really adept at using swords and uh, acrobatics. So he's, you know, he's an acrobat and he's got really good sword skills. So that's actually pretty cool. Um, your The next guy who they introduced was Colossus. Now, Colossus is a cool character. I've always been a big fan of Colossus. Uh, he's from Russia and he has the ability to transform into a steel-like substance that grants him super strength. So, um, in the beginning, he's already a big guy. He's a big burly guy, but then he takes on this mass of this, you know, this indestructible, uh, or nearly indestructible substance. And he becomes impervious to, you know, um, you know, most weaponry or anything like that. So people are shooting bullets or whatever. It's just kind of bouncing off of him. Um, you know, and again, his, his strength just becomes amplified tenfold. So, you know, Whereas he probably could, uh, you know, only bench press maybe 250, 300. Um, you know, now he could lift the whole gym. <laughs> so, you know, this, you know, it, it's it's a really cool. Uh, it's almost like it's almost like the Hulk, just not as savage, but more refined. I like Colossus. Um, then you also had uh, one of the fan favorites, uh, Wolverine. Uh, who uh, his origin is from Canada and he has uh, some unique abilities himself. Most of you already know his adamantium skeleton. He has his healing factor. He's very adept to hand to hand combat, uh, has superhuman senses. He can smell you from miles and miles away and he has his retractable claws. Um, there were also some other uh, characters that were introduced uh, characters like Banshee from Ireland, who has a sonic scream and also has enhanced hearing and is able to fly and again like in the way of uh of uh storm isn't able to fly just off you know off of jump the jump but it's it's his ability to do the sonic screaming that that elevates him so he can probably like scream at the ground which would push him up and you know whatever <laughs> um sunfire from japan um also has flight plasma blast um and he's able to view in uh, infrared, which is kind of like the predator, which is kind of cool. And he's immune to radiation, which I I don't really know how that's a power. Um, I guess it's cool if if he needed to, you know, again do some kind of do some reconnaissance in a in a radioactive area. Um, but you know, I I don't know like that that doesn't seem like a power to me. It seems like a it's a gift for sure, but it doesn't seem like anything that would leverage a battle uh, from one point or another. Um, but, you know, the X-Men became popular at that time. Um, 
And, you know, people started to pay attention because these characters that they were that they had introduced were a little bit more vibrant. Um, and along with the original cast, you know, it just it kind of amplified, you know, the understanding of, of how different these characters can be. And uh, man, you you don't you think it you think it can't get any better, but it did. <laughs> it totally did. Um, it got better because in the eighties we were introduced to probably one of the more familiar um, uh, kind of uh, what what do you want to call it titles to to the team, and that's the Uncanny X Men. So the Uncanny X-Men, which is where I started to get into them, um, did, you know, they did another wave of really cool characters that they introduced and they and uh, brought around to join the rest of the of the team. Um, You had characters like uh, Shadowcat. Also, some of you may know her, Kitty Pryde, uh, who has an ability to be intangible. She can phase through solid objects. usually in a way to get away from people um you know she could probably you know she could probably be the aggro in in the team fight but then automatically pull off like she'll get the attention of whomever they would start firing towards her and she'd probably you know face through you know a building or something and and yeah she'd get away or she could do some pretty good reconnaissance too if she walked through a building. I think the only downside to that is she can't see what's on the other side of um, wherever she's walking into. So, you know, <laughs> she'd probably walk into a room full of people with guns. Um, so, but it's a, it's a, I, listen, if I was, if I had the ability to be intangible, that would kind of be, that would be a little cool. I would, I wouldn't turn that power down. Um, you had Psylocke, um, who she's, she's kind of like, Jean Grey just not as strong telepathically um but she's a total badass um she's one of my favorite characters and she was uh one of the bigger uh sex symbol type characters that that came into you know um the progression of the X-Men a lot of uh guys really liked the uh the look of Psylocke um she she also is a telekinesis um telepathic uh powers um but her unique uh power as well is that she has precognition so she has precognition which gives her a slight ability to know that something's going to happen before it happens um i don't understand fully how that how that effectively has 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 helped her you know in comics I haven't seen it happen in comics, but it is a known fact that, you know, she can do it. She has a psychic katana, um, which I think from my understanding that is that if she if she hits you with it, then it it pretty much like fries your brain. Um, You know, it kind of it affects you. It's kind of like, you know, like she could attack you, you know, with her mental kind of like the way Jean Grey could do it, uh, the way that uh, that uh, Professor X could probably do it. But this is a physical manifestation of that attack in her hands. She's just, it's a blade. So it's like a mind blade. And, and yeah, she hits you with it and it starts freaking with your mind. Um, but I think it can also cause uh, physical damage to you as well. And she's a, she's a martial artist, obviously. Um, the, now her, 
now see this there's there's this whole thing about um you know again dying and resurrecting and you know different bodies and this and that um you know if you've ever read the the dark phoenix saga um you know everybody knows about you know what happens there um you know people you know you could say madeline Pryor, and people would have an idea on who that is um and the same thing can be said for Psylocke. So, you know, she was um, she was originally a woman from England. And then uh, I believe she may have either died or she transferred her powers over to a, a Japanese uh, woman who she currently is now. And yeah, and she's taken on that that I, I believe that I believe that a lot of that martial art um, uh, skill was already embedded in the uh the mind and abilities of the japanese woman so um yeah that that's who she currently is and that's psylocke and then you have rogue um which rogue has a really unique power and at coming up it was always sold as as a very tragic type of power because her power is basically to absorb abilities and psyche of anybody that she comes in contact with uh via skin to skin and the way that it was sold before was that it was so powerful that it could literally lead a person to comatose or even death. So if she touched you, it could pretty much kill you. But again, the cool thing is that she gets to, if she does it to a mutant, she can absorb that mutant's powers. And, you know, I think the, the, the caveat is that she'd also have to take on their psyche um which you know again it's it's a really it's a really tricky power to talk about or to think about um the only time that it's ever really came out to her benefit was when she when she absorbed the powers of uh miss marvel and that's how she gained her ability to have super strength and flight because those were things that miss marvel could naturally do and um and again, Rogue took on uh, those powers, but she also took on um, the split personality of uh, of Miss um, Marvel in her own mind, which has since been cleared out of her mind. And so now she's, you know, 100 uh, percent Rogue. <clears throat> and I think that her powers have been refined as much as to allow her the ability, which I think is really cool to basically um, have that touch be as powerful or as weak as she wants it to or ineffective so if she doesn't want if she so basically like now i believe in his in in the x-men history she can touch people and it's not going to be a direct consequence to the person that's being touched <clears throat> but it was way lethal back in uh the 80s and 90s um there's also uh dazzler which i know a lot of people will say who um but it's really funny because Dazzler was actually a, a character that I was familiar with before I even knew that she was an X-Men um, because back in the seventies, you know, disco was big and she was one of those characters that was um, that was created to kind of um, basically embody the feeling of, of disco and music and dance and this and that. So it's like, Oh, we have a superhero who's like that. She listens to music and, and, and the the sound of music or or any sound uh effectively 
she can create um she can create these uh kind of uh lights just light light and and i believe the light can be concussive um so she can hit you with it and it'll hurt <laughs> really bad um but yeah she need but she need but her thing is she needs sound uh to operate so um yeah um then there's one of my absolute favorite heroes um long shot long shot's really unique young long shot was actually manufactured not born um or you could more effectively call him a test tube baby um but dude's really unique he has three three uh three main fingers and i believe he has inverted thumbs um and i believe that that allows him to um really throw because he because he's an expert in uh, throw knife thrower he can throw these blades and it allows him to do them in in directions and in ways and patterns that would be impossible for somebody with five fingers um, to do um, but one of his other things is that he has miraculous luck so um, most of the time if you ever heard about luck in Marvel comics you probably were thinking about Domino um, who is a character that was prominent in um, Deadpool or, or Cable or the X-Force. Um, <clears throat> but with him, um, you know, it's pretty much it pretty much works the same. Um, it's just a little cooler, I think. And um, he's also able to do a couple of other things. So like uh, Psylocke, he has uh, precognition. He can he has future sight, basically. And he also is able to read um, psychic imprints. So kind of like a bloodhound, he could he can uh you know if somebody's missing he would be able to pick up their shirt or you know any piece of their belongings and then basically say um this person was taken by force they did not go willingly and if we don't hurry in the next 48 hours they're going to die and he would and he'd be spot on to know that and i think that's really unique he's not an often used character I wish he was, but again, he's one of my favorite characters and he has this glowing eyeball. Like, like he, he was one of the first characters that had like the, the big glowy eyeball. I know they've done it with cable as well, but, um, my first time I ever saw that it was with long shot. Um, then you have Jubilee, um, which everybody knows Jubilee from the, uh, animated series that, uh, featured in the nineties. And she has a pretty awesome power. She has a, pyrotechnics which she can uh she can make fireworks with her hands but she's grown to become better at it to the point where she can detonate matter at a subatomic level so she can make things go boom um you know in the beginning she was more joke worthy she really wasn't as strong she was basically because in the beginning you know in the beginning of of these uh comics you know, I remember the big thing was Kitty Pride joining the X-Men who were already established and could do all these awesome things. But when Jubilee came along, she basically took the part of Kitty Pride and, you know, she was just kind of, you know, there with this, you know, very, um, very established group of people that she had to learn from. And she's grown in she Jubilee has grown into being uh, one of the more established X-Men um she um she has a very big connection with uh wolverine so if there's anybody who's got her back 
it's definitely Logan, which that will be scary if you ever considered messing with her. Um, you know, so if you go after her on the battlefield, you probably need to understand that Wolverine's going to come in at some point or the other and, and stop you. So, um, and she's been a vampire or she is a vampire. So, um, that's kind of cool. I haven't read too much as far as her vampire lore, but, um, but I'm definitely interested in, in doing so because yeah, they, they needed to do something to make her more powerful and what's more powerful than a vampire. I don't know. Um, couple of other people so you got forge which forge is uh another native american that was introduced he's a shaman um who has a superhuman intuitive mechanical skills so basically what that means is he knows how to build whatever he needs to build and he can do it on his own suggestion or understanding or he can do it on your need so if you tell him you know i really need uh, I need a gun that I can see through a building and hit somebody from a thousand yards. He could build it. He can build it period point blank. And if he can't, then he'll tell you obviously, but, but he can pretty much build anything and he can have it done, um, pretty quickly. Um, and he can visually perceive mechanical in energy. So, you know, in a lot of ways, he's he's just he's just a really, you know, he's he's a big tech guy and he's able to just he's able to do things from a from a more technical aspect as opposed to, you know, being out on the field and being the physical brute that a lot of uh, these superheroes are. But I appreciate that about him. And I and I always liked him for that thought. He's kind of like the Alfred Pennyworth of the X-Men. Um, again, if you need something and you need it built and you really don't understand if it's possible or not, he will make it possible because he does, he's limitless in his ability to create whatever, anything he can just do it. Um, then there's another fan favorite, probably, you know, I would, I would say arguably more famous or equal to, um, Wolverine is Gambit and Gambit Gambit, in my opinion, became more popular due to the animated series, um, which in turn uh, amplified his popularity within the comics. And yeah, he, he's a fan favorite for sure, has really, really awesome powers. He has kinetic energy generation, um, which basically means he can he can charge. Um, he can he can fill things with his energy. So um you know, what he prefers to use is a deck of cards. Um, he has, um, you know, his he has an ability to throw the cards. Um, he's very learned and practiced in that. Um, but he also has he also has the ability to charge things like his bow staff, which is his his preferred uh, close method, uh, you know, point of how he fights. So, you know, he can charge the bow staff and he could slam it on the ground, releasing the uh, the energy and it could, you know, cause a shockwave or something like that. Um, he has limited telekinesis and he has something called an inhumane charm. So he has an inhumane charm, which if you don't. So so here's how it works. If you don't realize that he's a charming person, then he's going to get you. P 
period. You can be anybody. You can be Magneto. You can be Apocalypse. You can be the Shadow King. You can be anybody. And if you don't already understand that his power is charm, he's going to charm and disarm you, period. And I think that's a pretty nifty uh, ability to have. I think it sucks that you that if you know about it, that you um, then you ultimately become immune to it. Um, but I would hope that some, you know, I would hope that in the way that he charms somebody that once he walks away from them and they and the charm actually wears off, they still don't realize they were charmed so that it gives them an ability to be recharmed if they needed to. That would be kind of cool. But, you know, it is what it is. He's, you know, he's not the most powerful mutant, but he's damn sure one of the most popular. Um, and you know, with the Uncanny X-Men, the Uncanny X-Men, they had some really cool stories. Um, this is when they actually started to define themselves with, you know, a lot of, um, again, a lot a lot of the different stories that they were able to tell with certain characters or with all the characters. So here's some of the, the popular ones. So Days of Future Past, um, the Dark Phoenix Saga, um, the Morlocks, and the Brood. So those were some really popular um, scenarios and stories um, that happened around the time um, of the uncanny X-Men. And overall, um, you know, the the X-Men have had um, had some pretty, you know, pretty substantial characters that they've run into over time um, and some notable some notable characters that they've run across you know, in the uncanny X-Men is people like uh, Mojo, uh, which Mojo uh, kind of runs his own universe. Uh, I believe it's called Mojo World. And basically he uh, televises and he televises live uh, trials and executions and things. And it's popular for everybody who lives there. And, you know, the X-Men have fought him many, many times. And, you know, it's just it's always a very unique approach as far as uh, Mojo. You have Mr. Sinister. You have Apocalypse. You have the Shi'ar Empire, which uh, when they came into the fold, that was just that that was basically um, outside of the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, that was a way to kind of put the X-Men in a intergalactic type of storyline. Um, you have Sabretooth, which is one of the more popular uh, enemies of the X-Men. And then you have the Hellfire Club, which uh, they're they're cool onto themselves. I really like the Hellfire Club. Um, they have a really unique setup as far as like how, um, you know, because you have the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which, you know, that was Magneto, Toad, Quicksilver, uh, Scarlet Witch. Um, but the Hellfire Club is different because they they work themselves like a chess system. And, um, you know, I don't really know who the who certain people are. I, I believe Sebastian Shaw is the Black King. Um, and then he has a son called Shinobi Shaw. Uh, the white queen is Emma Frost. You have a mastermind, which I believe he's like a rook or something like that. Um, and then the black queen actually was Jean Grey when they were able to subvert her and have her join the Hellfire Club, which is pretty, um, pretty nifty stuff. Now, I'm talking about a lot of the X-Men back in the 80s. And you're probably already saying like, man, I totally remember. But what people really, really remember outside of everything that I brought on right there was the 90s. So, again, I brought a lot of stuff that that flowed from the 80s to the 90s. 
but it wasn't until the X-Men were taken over by uh, esteemed artist Jim Lee that they caught absolute fire. Um, they went into what was called X-Men Blue and Gold. And X-Men Blue and Gold, they actually had one of the best introductions as far as, as a number one because every you know everybody who takes over a particular story or book or series um you know they're going to put their spin on it their artistic uh view on it and jim lee just he had one of the best I, i'm sorry he had the best um comic that ever released i mean he had a comic issue number one x-men that basically sold over three million copies and i believe that still holds the record to this day um it is a very it is a very identifiable cover it has like pretty much every x-men um that every i don't want to say every x-men they've ever introduced but every notable x-men um who was of some substantial significance was on that cover and it was a fold-out cover and it was just so cool um and they were all fighting one person magneto it was so cool um but that that was basically the point where they decided that they wanted to um they wanted to tell two different stories um and they had enough characters to make a couple different teams and so that's what that's what the whole blue and gold came from so the blue team uh consisted of cyclops beast psylocke wolverine rogue gambit and jubilee that's probably the more recognizable team. Um, but not to say that the gold team were any slouches because they had Storm, Colossus, Jean Grey, Iceman, Archangel, and Bishop and Forge. Um, so, you know, they kind of even out in their, in their own ways. But I think if you ask most people, they'd say they go with the blue team because uh, it's Wolverine. Me, I go with the blue team because it's Scott Summers, and he's like I say, he's one of my favorites. Um, and yeah, that that's that's when that's when they were at their most popular, and you know, they've defined themselves in such a way that again, like you know, through through um, moving on in the future, we started to get. You know, we got different animated series. We got different storylines in comics. We got movies in theaters. You know, we the X-Men just went nuts. Um, some more notable storylines uh, that came up. Well, here here's the top storyline. So I'm just going to go over um, what I think are the top storylines in, you know, in the capacity of the X-Men. So um, they're not in any particular order. Um, but I'll definitely tell you the ones that I think are, are definitely worth. They're all worth your attention. I'm the, I didn't list any of these to not be of attention. Like, so all of these, please check them out. Cause they're, they're so cool. Um, Messiah complex is a really good storyline. Um, not going to tell you what happens. Um, all I'll tell you is that it's after, um, the house of M, which we'll go into a little bit. Um, the dark Phoenix saga, that is a must read. If you're an if you are an X-Men fan or you're trying to become one or you want to understand a little bit more about the X-Men, the Dark Phoenix Saga is definitely a starting point. Uh, the Age of Apocalypse. 
the Age of Apocalypse is a really good. Um, I don't want to say call it a side story or a sub plot, but it's basically a really good what if um, storyline where you get to see a lot of your characters in different scenarios and positions, certain characters that, you know, as heroes or villains. Um, some are, you know, um, leaders as opposed to being the followers, you know, and they're just it's just a lot of it's a lot of things in the manner of how they aren't perceived in the reality that is the normal x-men and it's a really really cool storyline um mutant genesis which uh that's the uh jim lee cover um the brood saga is a really big one god loves man kills that's probably one of the um so the x-men in themselves is already or it can be considered as an allegory for civil rights because you know the reason that the x-men fight aside from um well they fight you know they fight evil and they fight bad guys and stuff but they also have to fight the oppression of society because people are looking down on them and um you know not taking them as a part of you know um the human race and the human society they're just like no you guys are you guys are beneath us. You're lower than us. You freaks, you're mutants and, you know, and you need to be eradicated. And so um, it's an allegory for that. But um, that is the biggest point of that being projected was uh, in uh, in God Loves Man Kills. I think everybody should read that. Um, one of my favorite uh, storylines, um, House of X, Powers of Ten. Um which is uh, written by Jonathan Hickman. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know a better way uh, to culminate the history of the X-Men than how they did in, in that series. And um, where the X-Men are at that point is just so amazing. And the way that the story is told. And again, it, it, it rings a bit like the age of apocalypse almost. Um, but it's more in the position of Charles Xavier and Charles Xavier has always been a fan favorite of mine. And he's always been somebody that I've deemed to be extremely powerful, but how he is in, in house of X and powers of 10 is just, I mean, it's, it's loads different. It is so different. Um, and then, uh, house uh, i'm sorry yeah the house of m uh which is another good story this one is from the perception if uh if magneto ruled the world if if everything was his law and uh, it's a very unique uh stance on that um also days of future past is a really good um <clears throat> really good storyline um two of my of my favorites if i just had to pick some favorites out of all of them um, I was really big into um, one storyline called the Phalanx Covenant, Covenant, and um, the Phalanx Covenant was really cool because it came out in the '90s, and the, it, it was a it was a series that actually stretched beyond the X Men. It went into a lot of the other uh, sub series, so it went into like X Force and X Factor and Generation X, which Generation X was a um, generation x in itself was a series 
kind of like New Mutants where they had a different team and they were kind of like, uh, you know, how do you say it? Teenagers before they were X-Men, um, you know, so before they were X-Men, they were Generation X and, you know, and uh, they were kind of led by Jubilee. It's kind of like uh, their version of Teen Titans, just not as popular. But um, yeah, so the Phallus Covenant was uh, was a series that reached through all of these different series, uh, including the X-Men. And again, I'm not going to tell you the plot or how it plays out. You just got to go read it. And then um, one of my absolute favorites is uh, Fatal Attractions, um, which this storyline basically shows Magneto at his most lethal. Um, And if you've ever doubted that this guy would do whatever it takes um, to be on top of his situation and circumstance, read Fatal Attractions. It is it is hands down uh, one of the best stories. So let's uh, let's switch gears here as we're closing out on this this great conversation of the X-Men. Um, and let's talk about some of their more notable villains. So I mentioned some before, but this one's going to be my top 10. Um, and this top 10 is actually going to go in order. So I'm going to go in order of, you know, basically the, the most threatening, the most dangerous, and then work my way down to the least threatening, but still need to be dealt with. So here we go. Um, Magneto. Magneto is probably their biggest threat. Um, he's another Omega level mutant. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's been on their side. He's definitely been against them, but the thing that makes him so, um, so strong in the sense that, you know, he can, he can actually threaten the X-Men is because he can get people to, he can basically amass, um, you know, I don't want to say an army, but he can get a group together that, are going to be just as determined as he to see the X-Men end so that he can start his journey to what he believes life and the world should be. His main motivation is to wipe out the human race because he believes that this is the time of the mutants and you know, uh, the X-Men won't stand for it. So they're always, you know, they're always on the watch because he's always going to have that in his mind that Mutants are superior and he will do whatever it takes to prove as much. Um, number two is going to be Apocalypse. Um, Apocalypse is, I mean, people can argue that he'd be number one, but I, I take him as number two because his motivation is not always to challenge the X-Men or challenge anybody really, but it's basically to prove that only the strongest survive. And that that doesn't come by way of the same examples as like I was saying about the human race. Like he's not he's not pointing out at the human race and saying, you guys are weaker than us. So I'm going to just, you know, uh, get rid of you all. Um, But he's definitely saying, you know, you're mutants over there. I'm I'm a mutant over here. I'm going to show you that I'm stronger than you and I'm going to destroy you. And that's just going to be the end of it. And he's 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 pretty strong and he's and he's he's regarded as um, and I believe this is something that has been canon forever. Um, He's considered he's considered the first uh, the first mutant. 
So he's the very first mutant um, ever. So, you know, he has that. So he has a wealth of knowledge over over thousands of years of time. And he has survived so long. And again, his motto is survival of the fittest. And he has something very unique. He has what he calls the um, horsemen of apocalypse. And a lot of times now he has the horsemen that he created originally. But then over time, he had the horsemen that he would um, he would ordain people as horsemen. So there's been several characters um popular characters who have been horsemen like gambit's been a horseman wolverine's been a horseman the archangel has been a horseman which is the reason why he's the archangel um because he was just angel uh before and uh yeah uh apocalypse got a hold of him and turned him into something very very mighty um the other the next uh person that i think uh is, is a big notable villain for the x-men is the sentinels and the reason i say sentinels is because like like magneto they're always on the hunt it's just they're hunting for the opposite thing they're not hunting for humans they are hunting for mutants and it's always on and it's considering that you know there's a level of mutants like to say omega if if they're if they're able to read that there are omega level mutants that are either near or in a vicinity or in route to wherever their objective is, they're going to come and they're going to do anything that they can to destroy these omega level mutants. And it's it's a scary, scary thought, at least to me, to think that I would be hunted down by these um, these robots, these huge towering robots, um, which that's how I like to look at them. I mean, they haven't been, they haven't been done very well in the movies. Um, but I like to think of them as, you know, towering over skyscrapers. Like that's what I like to think of a, a Sentinel as, you know, with these plasma beams, you know, within the palm of their hand and able to learn about you just by scanning you on the fly and, you know, building up defenses to go against your your mutant abilities and whatnot. And man, like that to me would be just scary. I wouldn't be able to sleep knowing that, you know, Sentinels were patrolling, um, you know, around just looking for mutants like that. Yeah, that would be scary. Um, The next is Mr. Sinister. Um, and Mr. Sinister is another character. Um, that is associated with apocalypse, but uh, but has more moved on to become an individual threat in his own right. Um, he is somebody that he is he's a genius level intellect, and he, his whole thing is basically, you know, like apocalypse wants to make you into the form of what he feels like is going to make you stronger, whereas, uh. Mr. Sinister just wants to exploit you for, you know, whatever your genetic code reads. He wants to he wants to basically you're just a lab rat to him. Everybody's a lab rat. Um, but he has some really unique powers, too, because he can regenerate himself. He can um, he can manipulate his his body mass, um, you know, like in a way like if you uh, if you throw a I don't know, throw a sword at him, you know, he can 
open his stomach and it'll just go right through. Um, you know, he's he's very, very unique. But the fact of him, the matter is that the dude is a genius um, and he, he's a genetic genius. So he can he can genetically manufacture different types of mutants just based on samples that he's collected from from his victims. So that's to me is just another scary thought that he could make somebody who could be as um you know as tactical as as scott summers but as lethal as wolverine like if he wanted to um the next would be uh the juggernaut bitch <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know if you ever seen that meme it's on it's it was popular on youtube back in the early 2000s um but yeah the juggernaut um the juggernaut is um while he's he's not the well he's definitely the strongest uh person he's probably not the smartest and but the thing about him is that a lot of his powers um are not mutant powers they they come from a um they come from an ancient stone um and that ancient stone gives him this ability to take on the power of the juggernaut and um basically he has a power to that once once he goes in a in a motion in any motion, he's unstoppable. Nothing can stop him from going in the motion that, that he's going. So if he decides to ram you head on, um, there's nothing you, you can do to stop him. Like you couldn't shoot him. You couldn't, you, you know, if, even if you were the Hulk, you couldn't punch him and stop him. Um, he's going to run right through you. Um you know, maybe not physically through you, but, um, definitely not gonna, again, not going to stop. And again, he, he also has superhuman strength, um, very resilient to everything, you know, from, from, uh, telekinesis and, and any kind of psionic powers. The dude is just a beast. And like a lot of other characters, he's been a good guy. He's been a bad guy, but more notably, um, he's been a bad guy. Uh, the next is going to be the brood. Now the brood, they are just, um, just think basically the brood is, um, is, uh, Marvel's kind of interpretation of like alien. So think X-Men meets alien and you got the brood, um, the phalanx, um, which I was saying that was one of my favorite storylines, the phalanx covenant. Um, basically they are like a uh they're a program assimilation that it's kind of like a virus almost where it's here's here's a good way to put it it's basically the matrix agent agent smith it's that's all it is it that's exactly what it is actually <clears throat> i never thought about it till just right now it's literally just agent smith in 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 an x-men comic he assimilates other beings around him and but but the difference is is that he's able to um keep forming abilities of those that he assimilate so you know he can assimilate a storm and then she's going to do what the phalanx want her to do but she's no longer herself so she has no will to doing what she wants and um she's this and, and instead of being a, a you know a human form she's turned into like this techno organic form and it's just it was it was super scary back when i was a teen because it was such an invasive type of 
story like oh my god something just gets on you and just takes over your whole body and then you turn into this this ugly looking thing and uh just the it, the worst and um it's one of those it's one of those scenarios where you where you know you tell yourself if you're a hero you know trying to keep things like that at bay get it now before it gets out of hand because once it gets out of hand it's no stopping it like the juggernaut um the next is um now i know people are going to kill me because it didn't make uh it didn't make uh the very top of the list but um it's for good reason and it's the phoenix the actual phoenix um the reason why i didn't put the phoenix any higher than the rest is because the phoenix it you know there's a complexity the phoenix as gene gray or gene gray as the phoenix um is such an unstable character because unless she completely subverts herself to the will of the phoenix force she's usually fighting it which just kind of puts her at a disadvantage because then she's not at her full potential now if she gives into the phoenix force um which Jean Grey has actually shown herself to not have to give into anything. She actually can subvert the force. So she can have the the force bent to her will. But how it was told in the beginning was that, you know, the force took her over, she was trying to fight it, and that just kind of made her unstable. So that's why that that was what knocked her down on my peg. But again, situationally and circumstantially, if Jean Grey had full control of the phoenix force knowingly without question she's she's number one and the only one on this entire list but i'm just taking this into consideration of how i remember her with the phoenix force because a lot of her powers now um she's grown into and her ability to control that and then the phoenix force in itself is is in my opinion more dangerous than uh without gene gray so that's why i put the phoenix that low uh, next is Sabretooth. Um, Sabretooth really isn't isn't any trouble for the X Men as much as he's trouble for Wolverine because, and then that will cause trouble ultimately for the team because when Sabretooth comes around, it's basically one of those things where Wolverine feels like I gotta go take care of this, and it will usually usurp any mission um, that you may have going forward. So if you're on your way to do something particular and and Sabretooth is in the vicinity to thwart whatever that plan is, Wolverine without question is going to leave to go and take care of him. That's just how it is. It really, really, you could just put it like this. Anything that has to do with Weapon X, Wolverine's going to walk off and go do that. That's just the bottom line. If it, if it has anything to do with Weapon X, he's going to walk off and go take care of that. Um, and then the last one is Mojo. We talked about Mojo. Um, Mojo really isn't too strong in, in our world. Um, but if in, if in, if in any way he is, uh, he, you know, has, if the X-Men are, are teleported over to Mojo world, then pretty much they are at his complete whim and there's really hardly anything that they can do about it without the help of Longshot. So, <laughs> um, Last thing I wanted to do, last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to build my own team. I wanted to build my own X-Men team and tell you who I would 
choose if I were to go against any of those that any of those 10 that I um I just listed um, with the exception if they're on my team, then uh, obviously I can't go against them. So here's my 10. Here's my 10. So number one, Cyclops. I'm taking Cyclops with me because firstly, and really, really the only reason, because he's the tactician, he's the one that's going to have the plan on how we're going to attack and how we're going to come out on top. And I'd much rather have somebody with a plan than to just be a bunch of strong people with, with no idea. Um, Magneto. I, I, there's really no other way to look at that. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different abilities that Magneto can, can take advantage of and that he could display that really, and honestly, he doesn't do on a normal basis, but I believe that in a, in a heroic standpoint, he would definitely be viable to my team. Um, Cable, I would take Cable with me. Um, I would take Emma Frost with me. Uh, I would take Iceman with me. I would also take Gambit. I would take Rogue. They would actually come as a two. Uh, they, they'd be like my little two for one. Um, really, really not really, but I mean, you know, I'm making them count for, you know, uh, seven and eight. But, um, I, I, I will believe that the two of them in the same group would just amplify each other's ability to, you know, fight for me and my team. Um, next will be long shot. Like I said, I gotta, gotta take long shot because I would want the probabilities of whatever plan Scott, uh, hatches to come, you know, come to fruition. I want us to be, if we're not going to do it tactfully, we'll do it by luck. <laughs> so there you go. Um, and then the last one, is uh, Kitty Pride because uh, again uh, she could do slight reconnaissance, being able to kind of poke her head into you know places, being in, intangible, uh, being able to you know like if you know if Scott says we got to get into this place, she'd be able to walk through stuff and you know kind of get in to say you know come back and say oh there's uh, fifty five guards, all of them have plasma rifles, and they all look like they're on heightened alert, you know, and then at that point you know, we, we start to plan out the rest of the attack, but that's my 10 dude. Like, like that's the 10 that I would take with me if I was, um, threatened by anybody like apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, juggernaut, whomever. Like, I feel like with that 10, I could deal with all of those threats pretty, pretty convincingly. So, but what would your 10 be? Um, I would be really, uh, eager to know, what 10 X-Men you think are the top 10 in the entire history of X-Men. Uh, what were your favorite X-Men books that you read? What was the favorite, your favorite era? Did you, did you start reading X-Men back when uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were drawing them? Or did you just start reading them when Jonathan Hickman started writing? Or did you read somewhere in between? Um, you know, let me know. I really like to know. Um, always talking to people on Twitter. Um, you can hit me up at more TA podcast. Um, and again, we can have a conversation about all of that. Um, well, whew, that is going to do it. I am tuckered out and tired because that was a long conversation. The X-Men are a lot to talk about, but I'm glad we got to talk about them because they're some of my favorite characters. Um, maybe next time what I'll do is uh, talk about uh, everybody else's favorite group of characters, the Avengers, and uh, we'll go over 
you know, their wide array of characters and, and members and enemies and whatnot. So that's a episode for another day. But uh, with that being said, do me that favor, you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I will see you guys next time. Bye, guys.